welcome back to the second of my rambling thoughts on nationalism, patriotism, state violence, religious photo ops, and especially why do evangelicals and charismatics seem to continue not only to uh, uh, quietly support, but with enthusiasm support the aims and the methods of Trump, of the uh, Republican Party, and underneath it all, uh, broadly speaking, of the American way of life. This is an issue that has now caused so much problems in the world and other Christians are getting very distressed. <laughs> and I'm getting emails from uh, all over the world, including from within the United States. And if you want to hear more about that, that's in episode one. Before we get on with the meat of today's episode, uh, first of all, you might be able to hear some lawn mowing going on in the background, as well as some birds tweeting. This is because I am recording from my garden shed, and the neighbor is doing their lawn, and I do not have the heart to tell my neighbor to stop taking care of his lawn just so I can go on and on and on about evangelicals and Trump. Seems to me to be a misuse of power in that case. So let us love our neighbor and let him chug away with his lawnmower. The other thing to say is I got an email from Steve S. Steve S. is a lovely guy, a good friend of mine, he and his wife, Isabel S., have both written to me. And Steve asks for some more resources about how to wean oneself off the sort of Christian culture that just leads inevitably to these kinds of things and how one could start resourcing followers of Jesus instead. Uh, that is a great question, and in fact, Steve and Isabel, I have decided to devote uh, an episode uh, to this, or at least I will be putting some great time into it. I'm going to put something up on the website as well. And I have been collating a lot of information. There is a lot of people out there, and I'm going to talk about it later on, but I just put this at the front now of the episode so that people know there is good material out there. We can do it. There's good people, spirit-filled, loving, kind generous and gracious and intelligent, educated. They know their Bible. You don't have to keep reading the same stable of authors, their self-published paperbacks from vanity presses. Stop reading those people. Stop reading self-educated, unaccountable people. They might be good-hearted, they might be generous and kind as individuals. They don't know what they're talking about. You'd be surprised how little these people actually know anything they're talking about. And just being published in a book from a press that you basically helped to set up yourself does not make you an authority on anything because your ideas haven't been tried and tested. They haven't been put through the ringer. They've been rubber stamped and pushed through. There's a lot of good resources out there and we're gonna talk about that later on. So today I want to continue with the conversation it is rambling thoughts. I'm not going to answer all of your questions. I just can't. It's impossible. Some of these questions, such as why do people do this or why, what is going on? You know, the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, he said, Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. People love evil. I don't even know what else to say. Sometimes it just comes down to that. People do love evil and they need to cling to it. And you see this happening and it, and it doesn't matter if they call themselves Christian. What I noticed before in the previous episode was we need to stop even using that label. The label is becoming meaningless if, if it hasn't already become meaningless. Followers of the way of Jesus is a much better way to talk about what it is uh, people who like Jesus are trying to do because you can call yourself a Christian and support all manner of things under the sun as we can see this is evident this is uh, not even controversial people who self-identify as Christians support every political ideology they run the gamut in terms of violence in terms of money in terms of sexual freedom they run the whole spectrum. Calling yourself a Christian is such a wide label that it is basically not a very useful label. But you cannot support every position under the sun and call yourself a follower of Jesus. 
followers of Jesus have put on Christ, as it says in the book of Galatians. They are clothed with Christ. This doesn't mean that we are striving in some sort of holier-than-thou, works-based, do-gooder type activity. It means that we are moving through the world, trying to live with Christ and in Christ, and he in us. I'm reminded of Matthew 11:28, where Jesus is telling his followers, he says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so often we might think in our imaginations, we might go to the, to the idea that Jesus here, he says, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So a lot of us will instantly go to farming metaphors and uh, we think of the agrarian culture and we think, oh, okay, I know what a farmer looks like. A farmer sits on the plow or stands behind the plow and then uh, chains his oxen to the plow and then he gets he yokes them to the plow and then he gets his ox to pull the machinery and do the work and Jesus here is saying I'm a good farmer I take care of my cows my yoke is light don't worry the job I'm giving you to do is easy or something like that but we miss the fact (laughs) that Jesus isn't saying he's a farmer he's saying I'm an old cow Yoke yourself to me, and I'll show you the ropes. If you want to train a young cow how to plow a field, you attach them to the old cow, who already knows, who's developed the muscle memory. And this is what you do. You, You yoke the young, untrained animal to the older animal, so that the young animal learns by behavior, learns by following, learns by simply being next to the experienced one, what to do. Jesus is saying, he's not saying, I'm the farmer with a light whip and a light chain. He's saying, I'm an ox, come and plow with me. Come and do the work with me, follow my ways. He's not even saying, become a moral agent who knows right from wrong. He's saying, follow me, I'll do it for you. Go where I go, be what I be, say what I say, look where I look, and you will learn the right ways. So it's an invitation to co-labor, it's an invitation to move with Jesus, it's an invitation of Jesus saying, I am always with you. But it's not an invitation to being some sort of uh, uh, moral hero, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go it alone, be by yourself out in the cold dark. Because the world is dark. (laughs) And you trying to determine what's right and wrong all by yourself is uh, impossible. And even if you could figure it out, you couldn't do it. Because the system, the world is against you. The men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And we're facing evil on an organized, generational scale. We always have, but we're seeing it pretty clearly now for our generation, what what we're facing institutional racism, inherited patriotism and nationalism, forms of life that the people who have them cannot imagine not having. They cannot imagine that it might be bad. This is what we are coming up against. And the followers of Jesus, as opposed to the Christians, the followers of Jesus are saying, we are just going to go where he goes and we're going to be where he is. And that's our measure of goodness. That's going to be our measure of success and purpose in life. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the New Testament called The Message, he writes Matthew eleven twenty eight as Jesus saying, come, take a walk with me and learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think that that's that's what I want my watchword to be. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but this is my heart's desire, is the unforced rhythms of grace. And you need to be honest and ask yourself, look at the people who speak the most loudly in the name of Christianity today. Look at the people who are lending their voices and their resources and their money and their public platforms 
in the public sphere to defend Trump, for example? Are you finding unforced rhythms of grace? Can you, in your heart of hearts, see the fruits of the Spirit? Is there any love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control? Do you see any of these things coming out of the, 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 the material that the conservative evangelicals and patriots not the liberal media bias, not the way that they've been twisted, because I admit that they do get twisted. There is such a thing as a liberal media bias. I'm not going to argue that. But I'm not saying look at MSNBC or look at CNN to see what evangelicals and Republicans say. I'm saying look at their own words. Look at the things that they themselves want you to know about themselves. What is the thing, if you were an alien observing the world, what would you learn about these people's visions and hopes and aims and methods just by looking at their own words? Look at the tweets or the social media output of Robert Jeffries, of Franklin Graham, Liberty University. Look at Fox News. Look at the approved and um, openly supportive partisan voices. Not the liberal media enemies. Look at the friends. Look at the people that claim to be speaking for Jesus or for rightness or goodness. Just look at a Facebook feed. Go and read conservatives talking to themselves about... Uh, go and read conservative Christians and charismatics talking to themselves about their enemies and about their politics. Well, I get comments all the time, or I read them on Facebook or in other places, and they almost read sometimes like uh, Russian bots. They, they read like caricatures of what enemies of conservatives are supposed to think. But these are people themselves writing. They call themselves Christians, and they're, they're spewing hate, lies. They uh, dismiss people very quickly. They call on violence upon their enemies. There is no truth or life here. There's something wrong with the culture. The discipleship has failed. The ability of the evangelical culture, by and large, to instill in its people a Christ-like imagination, a political imagination for how to move and work in the world and how to treat one's enemies and one's uh, opposing systems, is absent. And this isn't because I'm reading some elite liberal writing from a New York media office. It's because I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount and the Fruits of the Spirit. And it's by that measure that we can see that the people who cry, Lord, Lord, are quite often not followers of the way of the Lord. So the question now remains is why do Christians support this? And why are they so sucked into believing these narratives? of fear and power and domination over enemies. And this is what we want to start looking at now. This is a Catherine C. She just wrote one very simple email question to me, which is, why? Why do they defend this? Why do Christians defend this? And by this, I think my friend means the whole world that has led to this point where such a man and such a movement is seen as the, the culmination and the, the protection and the defense of the Christian way of life. Charlie M. also writes something similar. Oh, and apropos of absolutely nothing, I recommend you check out the book The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse for no particular reason. In any case, Charlie M. writes... What in the world would Trump have to do to lose his evangelical following? Now, this was written on a Facebook post, and there were a few jokey suggestions. One person writes, um, well, Stuart H. writes, uh, and apropos of absolutely nothing, perhaps you should go and look at the movie The Shack. Don't know why I mentioned that, but anyway, Stuart H. wrote, well, perhaps Trump would have to convert to Islam to lose his following. Now, this made me think, 
Do you know, I don't think Trump converting to Islam would actually have that much of an effect. I'm not saying it would have no effect at all. But Trump has not proved himself to be an articulate Christian. He's unable to answer even the most basic questions. There's a, if you want, there's a YouTube interview of somebody asking him his favorite Bible. He says the Bible is his favorite book, and then they ask him, what is your favorite verse? And he can't do it. It's, there's a high likelihood that he doesn't even know a single verse in the Bible. He's unable to articulate or express any awareness of basically the most basic tenets of Christianity. And he certainly doesn't express or reflect anything like a life that is uh, trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. He's never shown repentance of anything that he's said and done in the past. And he continues to double down on these things. So evangelical Christians, if they are watching him, I suspect there's a lot of evangelical Christians that aren't actually even looking at his own words. I suspect there's a large amount of Christians in America who get their view of Trump from Fox News and other media outlets that are already positive or predisposed towards him. I think a lot of them don't even read his own stuff, to be honest. I suspect that might be the case. Because his own words, his unfiltered thoughts, are contain absolutely no evidence of any sort of following of the way of Jesus. To be honest, I suspect that the only way Trump would really lose the hearts of the uh, evangelical Christian base, by the way, 81% of evangelicals voted for him in 2016, I think the only way he'd lose that support is perhaps if he um, publicly denounced America or publicly said he was going to take away the Second Amendment and remove the right to bear arms. And ask yourself in your heart of hearts if you think I'm right or wrong there. I think that, again, the patriotism is a stronger element than the religion because Trump has no religion and he doesn't show any effort to actually respect the religion. What he does show is his ability to use the language of American dominance and power and individual freedom, the American view of freedom and self-realization. That is the buttons he is good at pressing. And I think if he stopped pressing those buttons, you would see the evangelical support dwindle. Which leads me to this whole question of why. Why was this happening? My friend who lives in, in Texas points out that amongst his friends and family who are Trump supporters or who are conservative politically in that way, all right, there's two types. There's a type that actually thinks that Trump is a Christian and they pass around the memes and they believe the sentimental stuff. But then there's another group and they are more aware and they, they know that Trump is not actually a Christian, but uh, they like him because he champions their cause, because he's a tough guy. This is the Robert Jeffries line. Je Jeffries is the pastor of the big church in Dallas. He's a very vocal Trump supporter. And, and in a quote a few years ago, he said, I, I don't want somebody like Jesus to be my president. I want the meanest, toughest son of the bitch in the room. And again, he's absolutely, in his own words, confirming what I said in the last episode, which is you can't run a country according to the Sermon on the Mount. The way of Jesus doesn't actually let you be very patriotic. And if you believe that your country needs to succeed, then what you need is the kind of person who's going to do the work that's going to get that country to be dominant. The nationalism narrative is the most important one here. And so Robert Jeffries and others who are aware that Trump is not some sort of paragon of Christian virtue don't care. They don't want a paragon of Christian virtue. They want a bully. And they tell you that overtly. This is not liberal media bias. And a lot of people who are in that camp of supporting all this stuff, they look at Trump bringing in tear gas and state police to clear out protesters in order to stage a photo op in front of a church that he doesn't attend to hold up a book he doesn't read. And they like it. 
they liked the fact that he used the law and order and authority. This is all heavy air quotes, by the way. He likes the authority that he projects, and they rise to it because this is what they want. They want this kind of authoritarian figure, and he knows it, and he is doing these messages for them, not for anybody else. So this is where I think we need to start looking, is what is it that the aims uh, of these people who call themselves, well, they are Christians. I'm not denying they are Christians. What I'm saying is they're not followers of the way of Jesus. What are the aims of these Christians that are being met that could result in somebody being so popular amongst them? He's giving what they want. He's given them the Supreme Court justices. He's given them some of the right moves on abortion law. And some of the, he's giving them the language they want to hear. He's giving them the ramped up gun rights. He's using all the quote unquote right language about race, about there's good people on all sides. He's um, using the language that they want to hear about Antifa, which is the anti-fascist movements. And he's lumping all enemies of the conservatism in with Antifa. And people like that. This is working. Every time Trump insults a Democrat or a liberal, it works. Every time he makes these messages or projects these images, it works for the base that it's aimed at. Okay? And the madder that the rest of us get, the better he is with his base. He's doing something that the people who support him want. And what do they want? They want to take back control. They think they've lost their nation. And everything comes back to nationalism again. Even abortion is, sub, is a subheading under nationalism. I grew up uh, listening to James Dobson, Focus on the Family. I grew up being taught conservative evangelical apologetics in school. I went to a Christian school. And all of the input that I had was coming from American right-wing culture, even though I was living in Canada. And I can tell you that even then, in the 80s and mid-90s, this is well before the advent of the internet and post-fact, post, <laughs> post fake news kind of world, the narrative was very high that they are out to get you, the liberals hate you, the, the world has lost its ability to know the truth, um, we have lost control, the, uh, the culture war mindset, the idea that you must be raising up your children in order to fight the culture and take it back again and win it for the Christian cause was very high and very prevalent. And it was a combative and um, fearful-based way of living, which is that everything is an assault on you, they are out to get you, and you need to fight for every inch of your rights. And this is where the gun rights, the abortion, and all the other things get lumped into that, because what's happening is it's we've lost the narrative of our nation, we need to control it again. We need to protect ourselves from the liberals or from the secularists and all that. And again, underneath it all is, is the idea that this nation was given to us by God. We have a manifest destiny to, uh, to spread out. We are a light shining on the hill. We're a city on the hill. The language that... Um, American evangelicals use for their nation is frankly lifted from the Bible. It's the same language that Jesus used about himself or about his kingdom. And without missing a beat or apparently noticing what has happened, Americans use that language for their own country all the time. There was one point where George Bush, during a memorial for, uh, for the victims of 9-11, he said, America shines like a light in the darkness and the darkness does not understand it. Now, I'm not uh, so concerned about whether Bush or his, screen, his script writers understood the Bible or not. What I'm concerned is that the evangelical base for whom this language was aimed lapped it up. They heard Jesus 
being substituted for America, and nobody batted an eye. And this kind of thing happens all the time. The, the Winthrop, when he, the Puritan, who when he said America is like a, a city shining on a hill, which were then words that were revived by Ronald Reagan, is a direct co-option of New Testament language for the, uh, the kingdom of God, the people of God. And it's been co-opted now so that America is this thing. And nobody seems to notice. This is what the theologian um, William Kavanaugh calls the migration of the holy. The things that used to apply to Christ or his church now apply to the nation, and specifically in this context to the American nation. And so that people who would never kill in the name of their church would be horrified at the idea of killing in the name of the church, actively endorse killing in the name of their country. That's a migration of the holy, of what they think is sacred, of worth dying and killing for. And this is the, uh, the narrative that uh, whole generations of people have been brought up with. And it's underneath it all is a, a patriotic nationalist narrative of this nation is God's latest revelation. It's been chosen by God. It's exceptional, American exceptionalism, which means we are exempted from the rules. History has changed with us. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are treated as sacred. The flag is treated as sacred. And if you don't believe me, just look at what happens to these documents or these flags if you try and um, insult them or, or attack them in any way by Americans. These are treated as sacred texts, not as human inventions. And the exception is, is that every other country might have its rules and laws, but we are the ones that are chosen by God to be a light to the rest of the world. And so you need to raise up defenders of this thing, and you need to control the narrative again. Behind this is uh, raised, charismatics will be aware of the seven mountains ideology, which is the idea that you need to, uh, in order to really control culture and change the culture, you need to get your people into positions of influence and power in the arts and uh, finance and business and government, and these seven regions are identified. And this is taught in lots of places, including Bethel and others. And I, I was brought up with this, even in Canada, I grew up with this. And uh, the Seven Nations is a, for, it comes out of, or Seven Mountains, I mean, comes out of a movement called Dominionism which is a movement that of the right-wing conservative patriots who are overtly realizing they need to take back the narrative of their nation. They need to take control. They have to have dominion. It's part of their mandate from God, they think, to, uh, to have dominion over. Some of the voices here would be Rick Joyner, Morris Murillo, Lance Wellnow. These are people in the prophetic, uh, charismatic stream, all of them incidentally constantly and continually given space and platforms in the Bethel Ministry School and endorsed by Bill Johnson and others. In any case, dominionism is an overtly nationalistic theology and ideology, which is based on control, taking control from the secular humanists, as they're called, or the liberals, as they're called. It leads itself very well to conspiracy theory thinking, which is why these people that I mentioned are also very much involved in that. The idea that there is a liberal elite that is taking control, that there's a spiritual war against America, um, and that it's a cabal of you know, uh, child-sacrificing atheists and Jews and whatever who are taking things over. These conspiracy theories have been around for a lot longer than coronavirus, I can tell you that. It wasn't 5G that invented the conspiracy theory. And charismatics are particularly well-primed for conspiracy thinking because they also have, uh, for reasons we don't need to go into too much here, but they have an eschatology which the Antichrist and the beast loom very large in the charismatic imagination. And the idea that there is going to be one world government and one evil ruler who's going to manipulate and everything, control everything, that is conspiracy thinking. And so uh, 
charismatics especially and evangelicals are always looking out for the beast and they always think they've identified the beast uh, they always are identifying something as the beast by the way and it never is or perhaps more accurately it always is the beast if you read the book of revelation you'll realize that the beast is any system of organized domination which attempts to set itself up against the way of god and so yes there are lots of beasts out there but i digress uh, why did we say or why would i say that abortion was the subset under nationalism so the the most common narrative is that uh, christians love trump because he's delivering on abortion and there is some truth to that obviously i would like to uh, i would like to call out the the lie however that there is a, a narrative out there which is uh, oh, evangelicals, they don't like Trump. They see Trump as the, the, um, the one who's bringing in what has to be done because America has, has lost its way because it's gone so bad that we needed a, a ruler, a King Cyrus type figure who's going to come in and whip us all into shape and, uh, and that we've, we've sunk so low that we need an, a, an evil tyrant ruler like a Trump King Cyrus figure and uh, so that there is and that the abortion is part of this narrative okay and that it, what it takes is because america has lost its way it takes a figure like this to put it back on its rights again now the problem with that narrative is that if that really was the case if it really were true that american evangelicals see trump as the punishment that they deserve you would see a whole lot more woe is us we have come to this. Woe is us that we have lost our way to such an extent that a man like this with tactics like that have to be what we need, that we deserve. But you don't see a woe is me, woe is us attitude. You don't see American evangelicals repenting of their ways, of seeing their nation and their part in their nation as being worthy of uh, punishment or discipline at the hands of King Trump, what you see is wild, gleeful enthusiasm for him, not just for abortion. You see the wild, gleeful enthusiasm when he talks about gun rights, when he talks about racism or doesn't uh, condemn racism in any full-throated way. You see the enthusiasm for the way that he treats the Palestinians and he favors a very narrow and certain violent form of Jewish Zionism, which is what motivates a lot of American evangelical support. Again, it's based on nationalism and the nationalistic logic. And finally, very much the uh, Trump support of the military is cited very often in amongst evangelical and charismatic circles as a reason to support him because he's a friend to the military so again these things go far beyond just abortion but what they do do is they lean all towards making america great again this is the reason this is the underlying reason that they're all about getting the right people in power in places of power the fact that trump was able to put various supreme court justices in place was another motivating factor for American Christians. But what's happened is they've uh, gained the whole world but lost their souls. They've won the battle but lost the war. Because the tactics that these Christians are endorsing and with glee, with absolute open-armed enthusiasm, these are tactics that derive nothing from the way of Jesus. So a lot of Christians are very good at using the Bible or they think they're very good at using the Bible to determine what's good and what's evil. But then they're absolutely terrible at using that same Bible about what to do about good and evil and how to be in the presence of evil. And there's no sense here, there's no attempt or appetite for submission, for turning the other cheek, for patient endurance, for witness to the powers. All there is is a pragmatic and utilitarian might makes right attitude. 
the idea that if we could but get all our people on the right panels and right boards, then we could ram through our agenda. Now abortion is a really hot topic, it's really an important topic, so I'm going to deal with it in the following episode so that this one talk doesn't get too long. I'll see you in the next session. Well, we've just been listening to my take on politics and nationalism and theology. But like I mentioned in the very first episode, part of my journey in all this is wanting to work my ideas out with my friends, with the people who are living the life and, I don't know, I want to see where the rubber hits the road. So with that in mind, I reached out and I found a couple of fellow travelers Who's, uh, who are podcasters and who are people who I've talked with and enjoyed with before. And you can hear more about them in the very first episode. But I have with me Chris Marchand, who is a pastor, an Anglican priest, and a podcaster and an author in Illinois. And we have Sean McCoy, who is a, a, works for the oil and gas industry. He's a podcaster. He's a professional speaker for a living. And an adult convert to... Well, Christianity, are we allowed to use that word anymore? I don't know. So what I wanted to do is just bring out uh, my ideas, but road test them with my friends. And so in this part of the episode, we're just going to air some of the things that got churned up. We're going to talk about what was on our hearts and minds. We might not actually uh, resolve everything, but that's not the point of this little time. We're not trying to resolve it. We're just trying to bring things up out into the open so that we can look at them and deal with them and perhaps come back to them later. So with that in mind, Sean, what was going through your heart and mind when I was doing my thing? Well, unfortunately, the word fatigue came to mind. Okay. Uh, in a sense of kind of that, that idea of... Do I have to apologize? Here we go again. Or just this morning, getting on LinkedIn, of all places, just supposed to be this professional, yeah. studious, you know, social media medium, and there's this, this diatribe on this one post and it's CEOs. Like see, I got pictures I was going to share with you guys, you know, presidents of companies, CEOs of companies making these just short, trite, impersonal saying things that you would never say. Right. And they're just so, so polarizing. And then I start to think, is it, is it worth the effort that we're going through? Right. And then I started to think of like, why, why we're in this predicament to begin with, what's the kind of the source of it, what's the purpose, you know, uh, where's the, is, is there a purpose to all this? And then it goes down the road of kind of seeing some introspection around me from a faith journey of uh, getting away from this idea of original sin, getting away from this idea of that we're just fallen and we're just terrible. And the only thing that can save us is this one thing. Okay. Because then I start to think, okay, well then if, if life's a blessing and we're here, then who, if God created us, are we, are we created improperly? So are we a mistake? Uh, right. Not just because we did it, but did God make a mistake when so you, he created us? So you're looking at our kind of world of just people fighting and partisan infighting, and yeah. and you're like saying there's something wrong with humanity. God made a mistake. Right, and then, it, right. and, then, and, then it could, and then because I ultimately don't believe that God made, I don't believe that we are a mistake. Right. And there has to be something in, the, something in the discrepancy, something in that chaos has to have a greater purpose. And you don't believe in original just, sin. This sounds like a pretty good proof of original sin to me but <laughs> <laughs> well whose sin was it was it our sin right. or was it before us right because i mean it's, it's like if i make something and it doesn't work is it my fault or the thing that i created is fault i think so that i mean i've talked about bonhoeffer before i think bonhoeffer or carl bart actually and bonhoeffer they both had a very interesting view of original sin they just said it, it it what it means is you're born into a world in which sometimes no matter what you do it's the wrong thing um, we are born into a world of like, we've inherited a whole lot of problems, which collectively humans have created. And it is possible to live in a world in which no matter what team you vote for, it's the wrong team, for example, right. you know? So, yeah. And that's a good view of original sin to me. Well, it, it, it creates for me that third move, if you will, kind of in the, in the true epiphatic uh, theology tradition, as I've come to understand it, where... We, to this political side, is it, is it, is it a conservative or is it a liberal thing? And I don't yeah. think it's either. Like I don't have a, I'm not a fan of either into itself, but it's, there's a, 
but it's every, it's all of us. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a us versus them. No. So I think it plays into all that. Yeah. And I just, yeah. because I don't think God made a mistake. So there has to be some, something right. in there that we have to find. I'm sorry. I fatigued you. <laughs> okay. not, trust me. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what was going through your soul? Are you a troubled soul or how are you doing? Well, see, I'm sorry to say, but you fatigued me on something else entirely. Okay. Here we uh, go. Here we go. Here we go. So, and it's actually not you. It's a, it's, in a, in, this is the, I, I, maybe we can are call we this. Up, uh, Chris? It's not you. It's me. Are we, are we breaking? Oh, up? Right. <laughs> I, I, I think maybe it's okay. Here, here's all it is, is yeah. I'm sick of Donald Trump dominating my psyche. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. And, and, and I, as I was, uh, as I, as I was listening to you, I, I was like, there's part of me that go, you know, I get riled up when people talk about Donald Trump and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, all the yeah, things yeah. that he makes me mad about. And then there's the other side of me that's going, oh, here we are again talking about this man. Yes. I'm, right. I'm sick of I'm sick of him being inside of me. I'm sick of him being in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I want to make things. I want to make beautiful things. Uh, I, I want to think more about C.S. Lewis and my favorite uh, musicians, Rich Mullins and, and Sufjan Stevens. I want to just talk about Martin Scorsese films. I don't want to talk about this man yeah, anymore. Right, right. I, and, and not only do I want to talk about the things, I want to make my own things. I want to I want to create music. I want to create art. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a part. Of, and, and, and I was I was thinking about this. I was thinking because uh, is is art escapism is it is it you know me just trying to avoid the world and um i think there are some temptations there yeah to just want to you know escape into a a fake world or something like that but i I actually i see it different i I think art can remake the world uh there's that that word poesis Mm -hmm. where we get poetry from just this this act of creation i think I, I think yeah. what I might be trying internally and wrestling with is I'd like to get rid of Donald Trump by making beautiful, true things. Beauty will save the world, as my friend Brian Zahn says. Yeah. OK, so I, I think I've heard that before. And, I, you know, I, maybe I've heard that quote. Yeah. Yes. I hope may that permeate our atmosphere more than just this boogeyman. And he is a boogie. He's a real boogeyman. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but, but, but I want to say this though, too, and the, the opposite side of like, let's just make beautiful art is, um, just this week, I've again been confronted with, with friends sharing images of children in cages right? and being separated from their parents of, of seven-year-olds taking care of toddlers that they just met. Yeah. And this is how uh, in America, our border patrol is, is operating. Yeah. And Sure, I think it's good to create art, but I, I don't know what to do with it. And yeah. so as much as I want to, to get rid of the, the concept of Donald Trump, like, I, I, again, the, the internal struggle, the wrestling I'm doing is like, what am I called to as, as a follower of Christ? What am I called to do? I, I feel pretty kind of helpless. I have four kids of my own. I'm just I'm just getting by, you know, I'm just getting by in my daily life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there you go. That, that's what I was wrestling with. Is that enough? <laughs> can you can you extract Donald Trump from me? Uh, just... Well, I will say because I know what I'm going to talk about in future episodes, and you guys don't. We are going to turn a corner, by the way. It's not going to be endless hours talking about how bad Donald Trump is and how bad evangelicals. I mean, that is not. I don't want to live that life either. Who wants that? We're going to turn the corner. I mean, it's we're going to rubble clear, get rid of some of the problems, but then. Really, I want to renew our imagination. I want to give us building blocks, tools for building something new, actually being creative, like you said, Chris. I, I want to do that yeah. for sure. So, I mean, I guess what I'd say is have patience with you. You both are tired of You're both tired and fatigued. And it's only episode two. Have patience. You know, yeah, we're only two in. Oh, my goodness. Two in, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, take a deep breath. We're going to turn the corner pretty soon. It'll be sooner than you think. Episode three, episode four. We're going to start doing something fresh and new. Don't worry. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> but I hear you. I, do hear you. I think that there's also an opportunity in that fatigue, right? If you've ever been, uh, this is not a self-promotion. I've done an ultra marathon before, a hundred mile ultra marathon. There is humble brag. There is an opportunity. There is an opportunity in that that even though you feel like you are fatigued, like you can't go any further, there's no way yeah. that, that you can continue to go on and listen to one more news story with. Yeah him making yet another statement. It's kind of like a little bit back to the first episode and what we talked about a little bit on this one, which is the turning point of all this thing, Stephen, which is something finally happened that put people over the edge, if you will, back yeah. to a place of just, right. Yeah. But even in those moments, almost like the, uh, you know, just the, how many stories in the God, this seem like we can't go any further. It can't, it can't suffer anymore. There can't be any more to this. 
if we can hold on, mm-hmm. that it's okay. And I think it's okay to be fatigued with it. But I think, but the lesson is that I think the charge isn't on you or on even on Donald Trump. It goes to Chris and I, and even the listener, I would say, just to how, what do we do with it? Because we, if we quit and walk away and just start watching television and don't care, that's not an answer either. No. So it made me think of, uh, maybe we can get him to use it. Maybe we can use his music. But I think in terms of art, what you're saying, Chris, uh, the, the guy I thought of, Stephen, is, is David. You know, if you, if you are a fan of David Benjamin Blower okay, at all. Yeah. I mean, apocalyptic. So he's somebody, and I think of, a, and I say this, I don't say this lightly, but kind of like a, a current Bob Dylan, somebody who uses his, uses their art to express that pain and challenge them. Mm-hmm. Cause there's so many times that I will listen to his music in my car. My kids give me a hard time. Cause it's the only CD that I have in my car and they know the sound of it. And it's not like a, it's not like a t- it's, it's not going to be something that you're snapping your fingers to and like remembering for the beat. It's going to get inside it yeah. and here. And, and it is, it's, I found myself wrestling from the first episode, those things I wrestle with about, am I, am I making my deal with Rome? Yes. Right. Am I selling myself up the river? Because in the music allows a, a creative way that's not confrontational to the point where I feel like a terrible person, but it makes me, makes me stay in that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are embedded. We are compromised. Um, we're all right now wearing clothes, for example, that were made in conditions that we ourselves would never work in or allow our children to work in. And they were made by children. Uh, I've, I'm looking at an iPhone on the desk in front of me, which was almost certainly made in conditions that were, that were terrible and inhumane. And I don't really have a choice. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't celebrate it. I'm not enjoying it. But at least I know it. And in my own way, I'm trying to do something different. And I'm trying to change my spending habits or I'm trying to change my knowledge. I mean, I, so I think just pointing out that, uh, that we've inherited a bad system isn't the same as saying that we need to embrace it and love it. I do think that there's a time for everything. And right now the time could be to pause and look at what we've got. I talk about Kierkegaard a lot. And the guy, this Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher that I like, and he, and he uh, wrote a really good book called The Attack Upon Christendom, which was his final thing he wrote in his lifetime. And he, and he describes himself in this Attack Upon Christendom, which is essentially his wake-up call. He said, Christendom has done away with Christianity. It no longer exists. And he said, I'm like the the fireman who's going through the town, clanging the bell, waking everyone up because there's a fire. And it's not my job to put out the fire. That's other people. But I'm at least waking people up. <laughs> and, and he even says, you know, like, don't, don't get mad at me if, if I'm not filled with, with a whole lot of um, solutions to the fire. At least I'm telling you there is one, you know. And that's also part of the process. And so, I, you know, I feel a little bit sometimes like that that just pointing things out is also part of the process that we need to, before we can go any further. But, you know, that, I'll say this really quickly, but that reminds me of a quote I just heard from Malcolm X when he was talking about racism. Okay. Uh, and he was saying that uh, white people, cause that's how he was phrasing things, uh, have a, have a knife in his back. Okay. And the problem that he has is, is not, he doesn't just have a problem with getting people to take the knife out. He has a problem with p- getting people to admit that the knife is even there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think maybe maybe that's where our exhaustion comes in. I, I I appreciate the challenge, Sean. You had to you had to frame it in a in a hundred mile marathon, didn't you? <laughs> to make us feel bad. Only only because no, it's, and trust me, there's people that I mean, a hundred, hundred, one ninety. It's it's more the it, it's it's more the idea of just this is going to be a long journey. Take the long road. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and we we want things wrapped up in a two minute meal. I mean, I do, it's been my nature. And so this may be helping the question I want to ask you from the episode, uh, Stephen, and you talked about the story around Jesus and the yoke and saying that mm. first. So forever, as you mentioned, as a new Christian, I have heard that story forever or heard that story for now. And I keep, all I was, I, what I would visualize is kind of, here's, here's the, here's the yoke for you to take. Yeah. Kind of the, and he made it and off you go. But the way that you explained it in the episode was, was almost like that, truly like following, like almost like guiding here, you're with me, yeah. come alongside of me. Let me show you how to do yeah. it. So my question, my question, or my kind of my, my back to that is, uh, again, obviously in the context of an older, of a Christian coming into it lately, or even some of these principles coming in lately or that are changing. I used to have a different yoke. <laughs> yeah. I had a completely different yoke for a long time. And so I'm kind of bent that way or kind of, so even if I didn't like it or agree with it, I'm struggling with this internally around, I even knew in some level that it wasn't, but when you take it off and keep going, 
you kind of still feel it. It's almost like you still, it's almost like the waves in the ocean. After you've gotten out, you can still feel the, feel the currents on you. And so maybe talk a little bit about that passage, if you don't mind about where kind of the the origins of that a little bit, if you can, and then maybe how, how do we, how do we put on that new wine skin, how that, that new yoke? It's sort of ironic that, that a lot of that language has led to people thinking that it's a very activist, like I'm going to take on Jesus's teaching and it's a, it's a new set of jobs. It's like, it's like a shopping list or a job list I have to follow. Whereas I think actually what it's more about is muscle memory. It's, it's the kind of habits and patterns of life you have that you don't even think about. That's, that's actually the invitation. It's a little bit like if you're a golfer or something and if, if, a professional golfer, if she's about to take a swing, if you then said, please, can you t- talk us through every step of your swing? <laughs> She'll hit the ball into the woods, right? But if you just let her do her thing, the muscle memory takes over and it will be a perfect hit. And I think that's that's actually sort of more what's going on with the with the yoke. It's not, Jesus isn't asking you to be a moral superhero who's able to discern good from evil, which by the way, was the temptation of the original sin was being able to discern good from evil. Jesus is saying, uh, no, no, just, just come and learn your muscle memory from me. You don't have to actually be the one to figure it out, what's right and wrong. Just do as I do. I've figured it out for you, kind of thing. So we, we, we have this idea, uh, we've inherited, one of the bad yokes we've inherited from our Christian culture is this idea that we all have to be little moral superheroes struggling away, you know, just me personally, I grew up in a culture which was very much about like apologetics and being a culture warrior. And if you go to university and the professor talks about Darwin, then here's the six things you have to stand. You have to stand up and defend the faith. And here's the six things you need to say to to justify six day creationism and all that kind of, you know, those sort of things. And you're being absolutely brought up to be like a little moral superhero who was going to be sent out into the cold, dark alone. And it was your job to carry, to kind of preserve Christian civilization. And I think that's the exact opposite of what the the easy yoke is meant to be, which is, you're just a little cow. Stop, stop trying so hard. Just do as I do, you know? But so, so, so that means the opposite then of that, it means that we're trying to unlearn the, the, the muscle memory that we've inherited or that we've developed. We're talking about the unconscious here. We're not this is why I'm saying, like, let's pause and, and shine a light on some of this stuff that we've just all assume as a matter of course. Um, those are the heavy yokes. Um, it's not works righteousness. It's not things that you are deliberately thinking you're going to do to please God. It's the stuff that you don't even think about at all uh, that's guiding your life. That's the heavy yoke. So I'm trying to brush some of those aside and, uh, and highlight what else it could be with these podcasts. So I have a question if, if we want to tackle it and it's kind of uh, is revisiting um, the one place that Chris earlier said he didn't want to. So this will, this will be great. But I wanted, I wanted to ask the two of you what you thought, what you thought. And I mean this in a true way, not in, not in a sarcastic, uh, ex, you know, making fun or, or kind of poking uh, like holes in. I mean, like truly, what do you think President Trump's religion is? Chris, what do you think President Trump's religion is? Well, you know, it, even the question, it just confused me because I'm trying to think, I'm parsing through the layers. What do you mean by religion now? Are you related? What, what are you talking about, Sean, what? when I said that uh, the one thing President Trump could do that would upset his base is if he, is not that if he converted to Islam. Is that what, is that what you're referring to? Well, I think it's a combination of all yeah. those things. It's a combination of, of people like, where I struggled with President Trump has been the, the core of this, right? It, it doesn't, it doesn't line up. Yeah. It doesn't line up with the Beatitudes. Those are, those are, there's just not space there. That is not, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard him to your point. Um, I've heard him say things about forgiveness that he didn't need it. He tries to live a life that where he doesn't need God's forgiveness or, or that, or doesn't need Jesus on the cross. Um, that that's not something that somebody yes. else. Did. I mean, again, this isn't, this isn't liberal media bias. This is like at the right. prayer breakfast, the evangelical prayer breakfast, right, that there was a speaker yeah who was a good After Christian man who said we should love our enemies. He sits down. And he said, no. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump stands up and he goes, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Right. To right. A, a rousing cheer from the evangelical prayer right. breakfast, standing ovation. Right. Out of, right? Out of prayer breakfast. This yes. isn't yes. So in, uh, in the, in the, in the, the Christians in a bad light. This is 
the heart and soul of evangelical America, giving Donald Trump a rousing ovation when he says, I don't agree with Jesus. Right. Okay. So, so instead of, kind of so I don't want to use it as a chance to just kind of lampoon. Yeah. I mean, to, let's understand the, the man a little bit or, okay. or what do you think is going on there? What do you think he, what do you think he worships? Where's his belief system? What is he, what is his end goal? Cause I don't, I want to say this. I, I don't believe it's just, he's just evil. I, I don't, I don't believe that. I think there's something somewhere that he's trying to do. And what is it that he believes? Yeah. What system, what culture does he actually believe? What is he, what is he believing in at that moment? Well, nobody's, um, nobody's does evil because they think it's evil. Everybody does evil thinking it's good. It's good for them or it's good. So even the person who deliberately like shakes their fist at, at God and deliberately disobeys God is doing it because they think that disobeying God is better for them than obeying God. So everybody is in some small way seeking the good. David Bentley Hart makes this point very well, actually, in one of his books, where he says, is, you actually won't find anybody who deliberately commits evil, because <laughs> even the people who are doing evil are doing it because it's good for them. So I'm not going to say, when I think that Donald Trump and the powers that put him there are evil, I don't mean he himself is twisting his mustache and shaking his hands and thinking, this is the most evil thing I can do, I'm going to do it. I don't think that. But I think the religion that he's following is the religion of pragmatism, utilitarian, might, might is right, success equals goodness. You define goodness by what works. You know, famously, they, Barbara Walters asked him, what do, what do you want to be known for? And he said, victory. And then she asked Bernie Sanders, what do you want to be known for? And he said, kindness. And, you know, I do find that quite telling, really, that, that, that victory was the one thing that he could say he wanted to be known for which shows a, a triumphalistic, um, success-driven, pragmatist, utilitarian way of thinking of the world, which is also where you can get lying. Uh, the ability to lie just constantly is, is also part of that because there is no such, you know, you, do, you wouldn't ever say a thing that makes you feel uncomfortable because uh, truth, and li- truth isn't important, just winning is important. Um, so you see that a lot. But, I mean... Uh, there was a the kind of religiosity that if he had any at all seems to have come out of a sort of Norman Vincent Peale power of positive thinking kind of stuff, which again is very it is very American. It's not exclusively American, but it's it's. Have you heard of moral therapeutic deism, Chris and Sean? Have you heard of that? Yeah, it's it's yeah. worth yeah it's worth having a look. Like just do a Wikipedia search for it or whatever. Some uh, some sociologists of religion did some good research into what Americans self-confessed American Christians, uh, what they, you know, they asked them questions about their own religion. Um, and interestingly, like people who called themselves Christians actually score very low. Uh, they're quite religiously illiterate about their own Christianity. This happens. This is quite a consistent finding. They don't really know much about the things that traditionally a Christian should, should know or say, but what they do score high on is what these sociologists called the moral therapeutic deism which is their name for this. I wish they'd come up with a snappier name, but it's their name for like, it's basically a, a, a belief in a distant, the deist God, a distant force who is the one who sort of ensures that good people get what they deserve and bad people get what they deserve. Um, and that it's moral, it's therapeutic so that there's a, a self-help sense to it as well. A kind of a, uh, and what, uh, and God helps those who help themselves kind of idea so uh, this is the this is the religion that these sociologists have decided is actually the better way to describe what a lot of christians in america are actually following and i think donald trump fits that quite well uh it's kind of a religiosity of moral therapeutic deism and again when you say moral we don't mean good and bad we mean um goodness is defined as what works and god is the force in the universe that makes sure that people who do, uh, that people get what they work for, that people get what they put out, they they get out what they put in, and God is the being that ensures that to happen, which is actually very pragmatic. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, individualistic. It's all those things that Americans really value, and that would be one of the heavy yoke, Sean. To go back to what we talked about, to me, that would be one of those unanalyzed. It's not like there's a whole lot of people who deliberately are calling themselves moral therapeutic deists. 
they're all going to their youth groups and they're sitting in their churches thinking that they're learning Christianity. But really, they're just learning self-help, positive thinking, individualism, which is the heavy yoke, the unanalyzed um, muscle memory that they're learning. Sean, I think one reason I, I have trouble answering your question is what comes to mind is I see Donald Trump as being so ill-formed like there's just hardly any foundation. He just kind of keeps building scaffold upon scaffold of nothingness. And there's a part of me as a, as a, as someone who has been trained academically and I have degrees, there's a part of me that thinks that he hasn't, he hasn't read enough books. (laughs) Uh, You know, he just hasn't, he's too impatient to sit down and actually learn something. But I I think I see a, a challenge in what Stephen you've been saying, which is, he, not it's not just book learning it's it's moral formation as well and so i think there's a great evidence to show and, and how can we possibly know all this i mean you could again i don't i don't want him in my psyche very much so i don't want to learn very much about donald trump but i think it's probably safe to say that he just has never been loved well and he has never been shown what what the act of of servanthood means over the long term. And I, I think there's there's something about that that not only is he intellectually ill formed, but he's just morally ill formed. It reminds me of um, the ending scene in uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where I, I believe uh, Harry gets to see what Voldemort really looks like, and it's just this poorly ill formed little. Mm weird baby thing <laughs> and and it's kind of disturbing you're like oh that's what he really looks like and i i, I think t- to peel back the layers and to look at the true donald trump uh, it's it's kind of scary it, it's not it's not pure evil like you say Stephen. it's 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 just kind of this hollow nothingness yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Think i'd, I'd yeah. like to very quickly say that i this is not going to be a series of podcasts inside the mind of donald trump um <laughs> I, this is not my interest. In fact, I don't even mention him very much after this. Uh, this right. isn't my interest. It, it, it's more, I'm more concerned about the people who, who raise their hands in worship to Jesus, who's, who get misty-eyed when you talk about the Bible, who claim to be bringing up their children as Christians. I'm more <laughs> interested in, in, in us, the people who say they love Jesus. Why are we so keen to embrace with open-armed enthusiasm this malformed, immoral man-baby. What is wrong with, our, with us? What's, what's happened to our imagination that we look at that and all the forces that put him there and the things he's offering, and we think that's the, it, that is what Christianity has been leading to. This is what we need. This guy is speaking for us. Like That's who I'm interested in is, is, is kind of us, those of us who still use this word Christian. And like Chris, you're, you're probably still more keen to use the word Christian than I am. But those of us who still think Jesus is worth... Now, if Donald Trump was openly and always talking about Jesus all the time and, and always identifying himself as this born-again follower of Jesus, then maybe we would spend more time talking about him directly. But he hasn't, and he doesn't. So, well, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think to, to kind of give some levity to it as well, and I agree, but this isn't, about, this isn't a podcast about President Trump. But I think the the mindset, that religion, that belief of where where he worships, if you will, and I think you're I think you're very very correct and accurate in a lot of those areas. That the people that feel the same that voted for him that get so excited are 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 of the same yeah. the prioritization, like you just said. Like that's that's why the re, that's why it resonates with him because when you when you resonate with somebody and there's a harmony, regardless of what it actually sounds like, right? Then you walk along and then you believe in what they believe in and then you mm-hmm. find. Because they're they're you, they're another version of you. I, I just need to work hard. I need you know. I want to. I love the country. I want to have a great economy. Because the people that I know, you talked about Brian Zahn earlier, and I, and it was the one thing about Brian Zahn's podcast that way back when on Nomad when it helped me on my journey on this. It was one. It was the one thing he said that that uh, I really wanted. To, the only thing I would push back on him a little bit, and not just a little bit, but probably a lot, was that the average Trump supporter wouldn't have a passport. The average Trump supporter that I know not only has a passport, but is done very, very well in life, is well-educated, is well-traveled, and is all of these things. They're not some, some redneck somewhere. Yeah. I know rednecks. Yeah. I, know, I know people that are simple, to put it a different way. And, and, the, and I used to believe that there was this natural progress. Well, if you have a master's degree, or you're a doctor, or you do these things, or, and you go off and see the world, but then it, it just will happen, and you'll be this 
universal person, but I know people that have done all those things and just don't, they can't get past those other yeah, things exactly. in terms of their own comfort and economics. And I think that's where the blind spot is. And so I, well, I think it's important to understand that isn't to, isn't it all to lampoon him or, or to make excuses. It's more to understand the language that he's speaking to himself and then what people are listening to and hearing from him, it resonates so much, which is kind of the core of the first two episodes. But, and also, again, it's not just America. It's not even just Donald Trump. I mean, Chris, you're, you're, you don't want Donald Trump colonizing your imagination. I mean, America shouldn't colonize our imaginations either. The world is a lot bigger and better and wider than just one country. And I'm looking at, so I'm Canadian who's been living in England for 25 years, which is why I have this strange accent. I think you thought I was Irish, Chris. <laughs> Somebody thought I was Irish, <laughs> which is fine. The Irish are great. Um, but uh, uh, when I, you know, I'm looking at this world and I'm thinking, wow, like Brazilian evangelicals and charismatics are loving their far-right fascist president and Hungarians and the Poles and the Germans and, and the, the, the Canadian conservative opposition party has uh, some Trump-like figures in it. And uh, it's, Australia and like look this is not just an America thing there is something about the Christianity that has formed and shaped the imaginations of of most Christians today which is leading people see look it's not Bolincero or Trump or anybody who's they didn't invent the buttons they're just pressing buttons that were laid in a long time ago right and it's the buttons that I'm interested in not necessarily the people who have figured out how to press them uh, so yeah, so I'm, I, I am talking about America and I do talk about Donald Trump, but it's, it's almost more because they're symptoms of a, of a wider issue that we see happening all over the place. Well, friends, I don't want you to feel that I'm leaving you hanging too much, but I am going to leave you hanging because I think that it's actually not a bad idea to continue to have questions and, uh, to push back and you've pushed back a bit on me. So I'm happy to keep going with that. But let's keep going on this road together. Let's keep going, fellow travelers on the way. And I think we'll reconvene at the next episode to continue this conversation. But until then, I'll see you later. Farewell. Farewell.